values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Isn't this Bananarama? Is that who this is? I can't believe I pulled that out of the air. <laughs> right? Well done, sir. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I'm disappointed in myself. I said the Doobie Brothers instead of Steely Dan for one song, but I got Bananarama. Something's wrong with me, Jeff. That's right. You did do that. I did do that. I'm, you, you looked very disappointed in me. I remember that day. I do. I do. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for being here. Uh, final hour of the show, and I want to reset an interview, and I'm going to encourage you to go back and listen to these interviews. Last week, late last week, we had Clint Hickman in studio. He is the chairman of the County Board of Supervisors and talking about the report that has been released by the new attorney general from the old attorney general's office in the Office of uh, Election Integrity, the Election Integrity Unit. And uh, his uh, feeling vindicated that this report did not give much information uh, on a stolen election in 2020. So the other side of this, we had Jennifer Wright on. Now, Jennifer Wright was with the civil part of the election integrity unit. It was divided into two parts. There's the civil side and the criminal side. So when she was going through things in the Arizona audit and the investigation that followed, if there was anything that she thought rose to the level of criminality – it was transferred over to the criminal side of things, and she handled the things that she believed may be in violation of the law but did not rise to the level of criminality. So just to kind of lay the groundwork, and when I talked with Miss Wright this morning, and it was a, it was a very um, intriguing interview with her. Um, we talked about signature verification, the fact that the Maricopa County withheld information, um, and I, I asked her about the report. I said, is this report incomplete? I believe that what we see, so there's the big, thick report that is included in the stuff that Mays provided. That was apparently from March of 2022. That is clearly incomplete because there's more than seven allegations where they specifically state that they were it was undetermined because they had to re- continue to review records and information. If you compare that with the letter that was written in April following, none of those undetermined areas are included in the letter. And so uh, to that regard, and she goes on and she talks about this. This is the part two of the same comments. Instead, there is a difference of opinion between the criminal division and the civil division as to the um, the the, authentic, uh, the the procedures used for signature verification. It was my opinion that there were potential violations of law that may not rise to criminality regarding signature verification. And criminal only looks at did the pro- procedures rise to a criminal misconduct. And so we can disagree. They, criminal can say we didn't see a problem with the signature verification procedures. But I can say I thought that they violated, at least civilly violated our laws and, and require more inspection. And that's why my May letter um, goes into great detail about us requesting more information about Maricopa County's use of automated voter uh, signature verification tools like Veris Pro. So I asked her about this. Uh, did Maricopa County intentionally withhold information? She said information was not provided that she asked for. But that information, she did not say that it was intentional. She didn't know what the reason was behind it, but she did say there was information that was withheld. So I asked her, what conclusion could you have come to? What's missing? What was that in that other information that wasn't provided that could have given you a more thorough investigation? 
Well, the concerns I specifically had about the signature verification process used by Maricopa County, where they use a third-party software, where they send our entire voter registration file with signatures to Runbeck in order for Runbeck to do a signature comparison between uh, the the reference the reference signatures in the signature verification file and the signatures that are scanned in through the uh, early ballot affidavits. So this is about signature verification, at least this part of it on the civil side. So then I asked her, why didn't you subpoena, go to the court and issue a subpoena and force Maricopa County to provide this information? So could I have as Jennifer Wright? No. So, uh, you know, I, you know, that certainly is a a procedure that can be done, but I had no independent authority to open up uh, civil cases um, on behalf of the attorney general's office. But I asked her then, did you ask the attorney general, Mark Burnovich, to go to court and get a subpoena for that information? I cannot speak about what advice I gave to the attorney general. That is attorney client privilege. What I can say is that that was an option and I cannot discuss what advice they may or may not have given. So you can draw your own conclusions there. You know, um, she was not able, as she said, as Jennifer Wright, I didn't have the authority to do this. I couldn't go to court. Uh, She acknowledged that the attorney general did have the authority, but because of attorney client privilege, she can't talk about whether or not she advised him to do that. But it certainly was an option. Then I asked her about the accusation, because where this all comes from is the election deniers here in the country. Uh, 2,000 mules made a lot of money. I saw 2,000 mules. By the way, that is the election integrity. That is the um, Dinesh D'Souza's documentary about people that were muling these ballots. We're talking about early ballots, talking about the signature verifications, the at least, if nothing else, veiled accusation that thousands of ballots were made up and were dropped off and ballot stuffing at these ballot boxes, which is why in 2022 we had so many people watching ballot drop-off locations. So a lot of this stems from that area, the accusation of a stolen election. President Trump still says 2020 was stolen. Kerry Lake still says 2020 was stolen. There are many people that believe 2020 was stolen, as was 2022. But there are some specific legislators in the Arizona State Legislature that say that they know they have proof that fraud was committed. All of those legislators were given an opportunity to come into the attorney general's office and provide the evidence that they have that the election was stolen. So I asked Jennifer Wright about this. What about those accusations? So I would be the one to correspond with them to obtain what they had, and then I would forward on the information to criminal for them to do the review since all of the allegations were criminal. Um, so I can't say that I've got any that I, other than the cursory review of what I first received. I wouldn't say that based off of the, the September 19th Grisby, Grisby information um, regarding some of the things, I would say I would confirm that that uh, much of what I saw did not have a lot of meat to its bones. And so I don't disagree with that particular issue. I think that's that's kind of a bombshell to me. Um, <clears throat> this is an attorney who worked on the civil side of things that believes that it, even if it wasn't intentional, that there were some laws that were broken or at least not followed appropriately by Maricopa County and how the election was handled in 2020. And there was some information that she wasn't given that may have led her to a different conclusion or at least a more thorough conclusion. But when talking specifically about the legislators that have been very loud uh, here locally and across the country and to be very 
very fair fundraising and making a lot of money into their coffers about a stolen election. These election integrity pieces of election ele- election integrity pieces of legislation they're promoting um, are being promoted because of the thought process that the election was stolen, and they have proof. They had an opportunity with a friendly voice. I'm not calling Jennifer Wright biased, and that's not what I'm saying, but she was a friendly voice. She was someone that was there to listen and would definitely was there to listen to people that believed that the election was stolen. And they didn't provide any information to her. There is a difference with what you say in the court of public opinion and what you say in court. There is a difference with what you say to the public and what you say under oath. There is a difference in what can be done to you if you do that. Now, I'm not calling anyone a liar. I want to be very clear. But I am saying if I were those legislators that are being called out, if I am those legislators that are being told that they are conspiracy theorists and you have proof and you can give it to someone inside the attorney general's office that's willing to take that proof and show it in a court of law, why didn't you provide it? That's a great question. Coming up in a moment, we get you caught up on the biggest news stories of the day. It's a segment we do every day called Did You Hear This? So stick around for it. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Time to catch you up on the big news news stories and headlines. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. We are learning more about what may have caused the COVID-19 pandemic. The Wall Street Journal reports that the U.S. Department of Energy now thinks that the virus that causes COVID-19 most likely first infected humans through an accidental lab leak, possibly at that biomedical lab in Wuhan, China. Importantly, their finding reportedly comes with just low confidence. Do you think we will ever have concrete evidence and confidence about how the pandemic started? I think that we are going to get to a consensus the further we get away from it. Like anything else, the further you get away from something, the less political it becomes. And... The bigger issue for me in all of this is the people that believed in the lab leaks were shut down. If you remember, this was part of that um, misinformation stuff. They were shutting things down. They were making sure posts weren't put up there. And it turns out there's a very good possibility. I'm not saying it. We don't know yet. I mean, the Department of Energy is not exactly a resource a lot of us would use in disease control. But I will say that it was a viable conversation that wasn't allowed to be had. I think now we're going to have the conversation. We can get a lot closer to finding out if it was a lab leak and if it was a lab leak who is responsible and does china or whoever is responsible owe the world a lot of money for what it costs governments and the shutdowns across the world that's going to be the bigger conversation the supplemental nutrition assistance program or snap benefits are set to end on march 1st amid high inflation and grocery store prices and just to put this into perspective that means for the average family that relied on these benefits they will lose $95 a month. Others could lose up to $250. Are SNAP benefits ending too soon? No, I don't think they're ending too soon. Um, but again, if you saw, heard how that report just started was about families that relied on this. That's the problem with
with government programs that are temporary is that people rely on them and they end up becoming permanent because of people's reliance on us. Helping people become self-sufficient is what we ought to be doing instead of making people reliant on government handouts. If we're going to try to slow down the economy, if you, you mirror this, which we all know that food prices are very high, with the other stories that say that the American economy is still booming and people are still spending, there may need to be a shift in how people spend that money. Instead of it discretionary income on some of the other things, it's going to be shifted to food. And we'll see how it works out because there will be some families that pay a pretty heavy price. You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at this time to catch you up on the big headlines. Brittany Holmes, the president of Elevate NAZ at the Greater Phoenix Chamber Foundation, talks with you today about how the Arizona economy is continuing to see major growth. There's big opportunity in a lot of different industries. And I know that Arizona Office of Economic Opportunity, they project that Arizona will add 721,000 jobs by 2030. How can career and technical education in Arizona help to fill these upcoming job opportunities? I think that if we start saying this to freshmen in high school, if we start telling these stories to freshmen in high school and start getting them to think about what they want to do, I'm not saying higher education is out. These two can go together with these CTEs or career technical education districts, CTEDs we call them. Um, I think what it does is give them an opportunity to see how their classroom learning applies to the real life earlier in their high school career, which is a benefit. And the other part of it is it may direct them somewhere where they say to them, listen, show up, get your high school diploma, get a skill, and you could have a career for the rest of your life, giving them hope in the future of the economy. Those two things might go a long way in improving grades and improving the focus of a lot of kids. Baseball is back in full swing, and today the Arizona Diamondbacks president and CEO Derek Hall discussed how the new rule change in adding a pitch clock will impact the sport. It wasn't so much the time of game. It was more so the pace that we were concerned about because there's so much competition out there, and everybody's looking at their phones or at their tablets, and you know we, we want kids attracted to this game, and that's going to be important that we can improve the pace. Does a pitch clock make you more inclined to watch baseball? I don't know if it makes me more inclined to watch it, but it definitely will keep me tuned in. And um, we have a fast-paced world. The attention um, uh, span of people is a little bit smaller. People are drawn to other kind of sports. There are two things that I think are going to help. I don't want to say save baseball because I still think it's America's pastime, but it definitely is going to help baseball. One of them is this implementation of a pitch clock. The other part of it's going to be gaming, as weird as that sounds. You now have people that have a vested interest, even if it's a small amount of money, on getting to an end of a game, and they're going to want to find out how they did. It's kind of like what fans Fantasy football did for football. Fantasy baseball does the same thing. It's one more level where they get fans engaged and interested. And I think this pitch clock is going to keep them engaged. And I think that is all going to do better and make do better for baseball in the long run. Great job, Julie. Let me turn the question on you because you are a huge baseball fan. What do you think of these rule changes? Um, with the pitch clock, I wouldn't have minded if they never had it because I love baseball and I was just, I mean, you know, I think for baseball, they call them, you know, like baseball purists. I'm, I don't know if I'm a baseball purist because I'm okay with change, but I, adding a pitch clock doesn't add to whether or not I'm going to continue watching the sport. But do you think it'll be good for the sport with other people that view it by speeding up the game? Most likely. I mean, as you mentioned, attention spans are waning. I mean, it comes with Twitter and TikTok and Instagram and all these videos are being, you know, a minute, 30 second time. And people do, I do see a lot of phone usage at games. So if 
batters are forced to get in the box faster, then you know people will have to turn off their phones. All right, last question then. What do you think about the increased size of the bases? Because I said to Derek Hall, people are comparing them to pizza boxes, and he said extra large pizza boxes. Now, what do you think this is going to do to the game? Uh, you're definitely going to see a lot more steals, which should be a lot of fun. I mean, people love that in-between action when you know you really have to keep an eye on everything. So, you know, a, a steal in the middle of a of a pitch is, is just so much fun. Um, but I do think that making it easier doesn't necessarily help the game because, you know, you had to have a lot of skill to steal a base. All right, so when you've got uh, records out there and the baseball purists love the records, man, now you're going to have more stolen bases. We don't know how this is going to affect a pitcher or a batter. Uh, what does this do to the purists that follow these records so closely? Uh, asterisk? Going to be an asterisk now? I don't know. I don't know about an asterisk. It's not that they made them that much bigger, um, but you probably will see some people with the asterisk mark on it. Or at least saying that if a record gets broken that it has to because of the changes. Yeah, you have to at least mention the change. Okay. All right, there's your, she is the baseball expert here on the show. Coming up in a moment, we're going to talk about the economy. Home inventory, very high, and a conversation I had with somebody that knows the economy very, very well. It's coming up next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Back when Garth Brooks did cowboy music, this was such a great rodeo song. Beaches of Cheyenne. If you want to hear some great music, that's just amazing. I was down in Wickenburg yesterday. There's a big rodeo event coming up in March that I'm going to be a part of, and I can't wait. My friend Gina is putting it on, and I can't wait to get out there and do it. Love that sport. Um, Let's talk about the economy for a moment. A couple of different things we've talked about today. New home inventory is up 115% as builders try to push Americans into buying new homes. There's also a story that mirrors that that says that existing homes are being snatched up again by investors. If you remember when the market crashed here, and it's, it, you know, again, it's just, it is kind of how it is. Um, and I'm not calling it good or bad. It's an acknowledgement. When the market crashed in 08, 09, 2010, and a few years beyond, what we saw were investors that had cash coming in and buying homes at a very low price, knowing that the market was going to rebound, using those as rental properties for a while, and then flipping them and selling them years later at big profits, which I have no problem with. That's capitalism. And there were many people that were upset because neighborhoods were being turned into from families that lived in these homes in neighborhoods to being com- becoming rental properties. And it was it was less of a family atmosphere where neighbors knew each other. And, you know, in my again, in my old neighborhood, um, my neighbor and I on both sides of me, very close, very nice people. There was an older couple and uh, her husband passed away recently. Just a great couple. My neighbor, Paul, I talk about him often, him and his wife. And we hang out. We'd watch each other's houses when I was out of town, when he was out of town. That's what neighbors do. The guy across the street. um you know, getting to know him. And, and, and that's the kind of feel you want in a neighborhood. And I loved it. I really did. And in the neighborhood I live now, I've only met one of my neighbors uh, from two doors down. Very, very nice woman. Her husband's a contractor. and But I don't know in this neighborhood if it's the same kind of feeling where neighbors look out for each other. Um, and so you get, when you see stories like this, people are maybe gravitating to new homes and the existing home sales as they are. 
are going to investors that have cash. And I don't know that it's a bad thing. It's just an acknowledgement. That's what happens, that when you've got people that are sitting on piles of cash, you look at real estate markets and they say, you know what, the the, the market is softened here. And that, that would be the best way to describe Phoenix. I don't think it's crashed. I don't think a lot. I think, but it has softened. There's no doubt. When you see a softening market, there are people looking at what Arizona is doing with chip manufacturing, with all of the other things that our economy is doing right now. And with the potential, we had somebody on this morning from um, from uh, – what was the name of the organization they were from? Um, it was really an interesting conversation about Arizona moving forward and advancing education so that the job market. And when we talked to the director, her name is Brittany Holmes. Brittany said that over 700,000 jobs are going to be created in Arizona by 2030. So you've got investors that are saying, hey, listen, that's less than 10 years. That's a pretty good investment. I could plunk down if I've got some some cash. I could plunk down a half a million dollars or a million dollars if I had it, buy a couple of homes in Arizona, rent them out if I can, sit on them like any other investment, get some rental cash out of them, and in 10 years, sell them, and I'm going to make some really nice money. But what is happening to the people in Arizona that are coming here? How do we alleviate what's this housing cost? Rent prices are still very, very high for families in Arizona. It's one of the keys here to our inflation. The job, uh, the housing market, I should say, in Arizona is remaining fairly strong. As a matter of fact, one of the stories said housing prices are on the increase. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway post 2022 loss because of the rocky markets. People are still predicting that we are going to see some kind of a uh, a recession this year. We don't know how bad that's going to be. But as we watch Americans still spending a lot of money and they are, um, there's a concern that the interest rates are going to have to go up. Um The AZ Central story says uh, Metro Phoenix home prices rising again. Scary market crash forecast debunked, at least for now, at least for now. Um, But what is the concern for most families? Most families are not out there looking to get wealthy. Let's be honest. The average American family is not looking for great wealth. The average American family, and I think the average family here in the Valley, is looking for stability, Meaning this, that you want to know that your bills are going to be covered, that you're putting money away for retirement, that someday if you follow the rules, someday you will be able to retire comfortably. Your kids will be able to go to college or go into the workforce. Your home will be paid for. You can take a vacation every once in a while. When your children have things come up, whether it's a trip to Washington, D.C. or or um, piano lessons or Little League or whatever it is that your child wants to do that would be ad- advantageous for their growth, for their emotional growth as well, physical growth, that you can say yes to it. There's not a lot of wealth in there. We're not talking about a brand new Mercedes in the driveway every couple of years. And there are families that strive for that. But the average family wants stability. They want to feel like I'm working hard. And if you do the right things, then your life will turn out the way you want, at least financially. There is no guarantee, but people want to see us moving in that direction. What do we do in Arizona? Because the job market is going to remain strong. There's no doubt about that. But what can we do to make that possible for most families? Because we are seeing a strong real estate market. Now, as a homeowner, I will tell you, I like to see that. I want to see massive growth in the value of homes. It makes my future a bit more secure. 
I would love to see that happen. At the same time, we also hear the stories of people that are falling through the cracks, that are losing their homes because they're renting, and rent has gone up so much that the landlords are pricing them out of the places they lived, and they've been good tenants. What is it? How do you mar- how do you get that balance? Is it something that can be done, or does the market just have to adjust? I love those questions, and I'm going to continue to talk to people that believe they have answers to those questions. What I'm going to do before we close it out is I want to go back to the education conversation. We talked earlier about Oklahoma and a brand new school choice program. And what is one thing that's connected in Oklahoma to school choice that many states, including Arkansas, are doing? We'll talk about the connection coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for spending part of your day here. Oklahoma is set to debut a first-of-its-kind school choice program. Now, we talked about Arkansas doing the same thing. Arizona on the cutting edge of this and kind of leading the way in many states now modeling this school choice program after what Arizona did and opening it up. We had a program here in Arizona, and it was a program – that was an ESA, the Empower, Empowerment Scholarship Accounts is what they were called. And it was designed for special needs students and the parents of special needs students that they could take tax dollars that were attached to their child and use those tax dollars in any way they see fit for their child's uh, education. Now, the dollars had to be spent on educational things, but there was pretty wide parameters for a parent that believed that it would be better for their special needs child and their specific needs. The thought process was why wouldn't we expand this to all parents and give all parents an opportunity to use that money to go to private school tuition, to charter schools, to homeschooling, to micro schools, to whatever it is that you would benefit your child. And that was how it was born here in Arizona with the expansion of the ESAs, which are no longer called empowerment scholarship accounts. I think they're now known as education savings accounts, whatever it is. That was the program. Here's what's interesting what Arkansas and Oklahoma have done and other states have done. The program would create a refundable tax credit program, but here's where it is. It's tied to teacher raises. That teachers across the board, Arkansas, they're getting raises. The governor, a Republican governor in Arkansas, saying that, you know, we believe um, – that teachers need to be retained by paying them more. The Oklahoma Republican Governor Kevin Stitt told the Daily Caller News Foundation what we did was give a $5,000 tax credit, but it's refundable. In other words, you can get $5,000 to move and go to a school of your choice. There's also teacher raises involved in this legislation as well. Here in Arizona, Representative Gress has a plan and a school, a teacher pay fund that would be specific to making sure teachers are paid a competitive amount of money in Arizona. It would give teachers in Arizona, public school teachers in Arizona, a a $10,000 raise. And it's very fascinating that the teachers unions, the teacher organizations in Arizona, AEA, AEU, they're against this. They are vocally against this. Isn't it fascinating that they're against the $10,000 raise for teachers? Part of it is they don't like the accountability attachments that are there to it. I have no problem with accountability. And it's funny that when you talk about transparency and accountability and people don't like it, let's talk about policing for a moment. 
I'm in favor of all kinds of accountability in policing, and I think we have a lot of it. You know, I think there's a lot. And if we want more, it should be fair, but there should be oversight. There is oversight in law enforcement. There is PSB, which is Professional Standards Bureau or Internal Affairs. Every agency has that. There's criminal investigations when officers are involved in a violent altercation. They are investigated criminally as well. And then there is also the Office of Accountability and Transparency that we paid millions of dollars as taxpayers in the city of Phoenix for that office to be created in the city of Phoenix. So what is the problem with oversight? One of the stories I talked about with education earlier today is the millions and millions and millions of dollars that have been allocated to school districts in COVID relief that haven't been spent. Most districts have spent far less than half of their money in COVID relief already. When dollars are supposed to be spent in the classroom in getting kids closer to the reading level at reading at grade level and math skills at grade level, improving their scores and their test scores and recovering learning loss because of COVID-19. And we've seen that those classrooms or those those dollars are not being spent in the classroom yet in many school districts. They have until September of 2024 to spend that money. What are they waiting for? We all know that across the board in Arizona, we have seen a dramatic reduction in in proficiency. It was bad before. It was well below 50% before COVID, and it got worse during COVID. So parents are clamoring for school choice. Parents are clamoring for options that help their children perform better. There's nothing wrong with these programs. And for the advocates out there for teacher pay raises, I mean this for all of you sincerely. Go and ask if your legislator supports or opposes the piece of legislation that would give a $10,000 a raise to teacher through this fund, teachers through this fund. And then if your legislator opposes it, ask them why they oppose it. Get a reasonable answer. Don't take my word for it, but the proposal is out there. We have to ask why they are against it. I think it's a, it's a great question. Because, like I've said many times, money is not the only problem, but good teachers, if we're going to keep them, we need to pay them. And if we want to get good teachers to come into the profession, they have to know they're going to make a living. And so uh, let's see. I would love to see how this all works out, and especially as more states tie into this school choice program. I want to recommend you go back and listen to the interview. Jennifer Wright was on with me. She was a lawyer in the um, Election Integrity Unit in the former Attorney General's office. Compelling interview. Um, and I think it'll be up on the podcast. Matter of fact, I know it will be in just a few moments. And I want to thank her for being on the show with us today. You can hear all of our interviews there on the podcast. We'll be back tomorrow morning starting just after 8 a.m. I hope you can join us. Until then, have a great day. God bless.